Paul has been giving us a absolute fire hydrant of good news. That's the technical term, a fire hydrant of good news in the book of Ephesians so far. And so uh, I want us to, we're not going to skip the recap button on this one. So you guys watch on TV, right? When you watch enough shows in a row, it automatically, you guys probably don't know this. If you watch more than one show in a see what I did? Yeah, you're welcome. Um, if you watch more than one show in a row on Netflix or maybe Hulu or anything, uh, streaming service, they recognize that you don't need the, the recap right away because you just watch the other episode. But if you were to watch episodes like one day after the next, they have a little recap button that you can opt to choose, you can select if you want to skip it uh, or if you want to catch back up and see what you missed so far. And um, so we're about four sermons into Ephesians, so I'm not going to skip the recap button this time. I'm going to give us a recap of Ephesians in about three minutes uh, because it sets the groundwork for what we're going to talk about tonight. And tonight's message is super simple. It's not a complex one. Uh, there's some complexity in there, but overall what he is saying is that God has made peace between people because of Jesus. That what used to be separate and distinct and a reason for fighting is now been brought together in a way that brings beauty and honor to God in a way that was not previously possible due to sin in this world. That's where he's going to land, and it is amazing. But to get there, let's track back. Ephesians chapter 1, when we were in that part of the, the book, uh, Paul is saying uh, that he's trying to recapture and re-narrate reality for the Ephesian believers. They lived in a city uh, that had had a pretty radical experience with Jesus when the Spirit first came. Uh, people had been set free of the magic that they'd been under. They were set free from powers and false gods. They had been uh, pretty into witchcraft and worshiping uh, powers that were not God. And when Jesus came in and took hold of their heart, they threw all their stuff into a big old pile, lit it up on fire, which caused a massive uh, complication with local authorities, so much so that they rushed them into the big arena. Uh, that's pictures in your book, Owen. If you're looking at your Bible, it's in there. Um, this, they rushed them into this big arena, and they were ready to throw down with them, and then God rescues them. It's the place where Paul would heal people, not by even going and touching them, but when they got his sweat rag, like he preached, like, you know what I mean? And he'd get old school Baptist preacher with it and just have to wipe his sweat off. And then he'd throw the rag over there and they'd grab the rag and they'd take that and they'd see people healed by it. Like there was massive signs and wonders and beauty and the kingdom and resurrection power came in fullness. And that was these people. And then out of that, the, the seeds of a church were formed. People that believed the good news and wanted to orient all of life around it. And Paul goes, you guys, remember, remember that you are freed and you are forgiven, that God is bringing heaven and earth back together again, that in his mercy and in beauty, everything that was disintegrated in Christ is being brought back together. And I want you guys to taste and see that, not just know it in your minds, but experience that in your life. And he prays this powerful prayer where he says, know that you have an inheritance, know that there's a power, know that you've been set free. And then he throws it back in the passage from last week and says, remember, you guys used to be basically dead. You were walking around. You were enslaved by Satan. The systems of the world were against you. And your own selfish choices further enslaved you. And it's like, whoa, that's not good news. And then he turns and says, but by God's grace, he has saved you. 
Remember, you are a rescued people. Like Israel was rescued through the Red Sea out of Egypt, you have been rescued out of sin and the enemy's stranglehold and the inability to bring yourself to life and walk in freedom and flourishing. Like Jesus did that for you. Celebrate that. That's exciting. He claimed that Jesus is the cosmic king and then he shows what it looks like to be set free to walk free. And he says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God so that none of you can boast. But you're God's workmanship or you are his creation. And you've been created for good works in Christ Jesus, which he prepared ahead of time for you to walk around in and call home to lead to flourishing. And so he's told the story of God's radical redemption in the personal way. Remember, this was true about you on a personal level. And then what he's going to do in the next part, this text that we have for today, is walk it back and tell the same story again through the lens of humanity. And so he's told it with people and individuals, and now he's going to walk it back and say it's not just individual peoples, but God is saving a community. And his plan was always to have a multi-ethnic community. It was never monocultural. It was never meant to be only Jewish or only Israeli people. It was never meant to be just that. It was always meant to be for the nations, for all of creations to flourish. And so he's going to dig into that for us. And there is so much beauty here. Uh, What I need you to track with as you see one more thing is that Paul, to this point in the text and through this chapter, doesn't ask them to do anything. Uh, Chapter one through three, he's saying this is God's story. This is what God has done and is doing. This is what's true. Uh, Chapter four through six, he's going to get to, now this is your story and how you respond to God's story. But so far in this text, he doesn't tell them to do anything. Even when it came to good works last week, he didn't say, now go do them. He just said, hey, know that they're out there. That's what God's created you for. There's a purpose and a design. But he doesn't tell them to do anything yet. Which is pretty incredible because I think so many times we forget that we are first called to Jesus because we get so busy doing for Jesus. And Paul doesn't ever get that twisted. He always says, here's what's true, and then here's what you do. Every time, every book, they break down almost right down the middle with that breakdown. But we're going to work through these verses, and uh, you're actually going to work through for yourselves. But I'm going to read them and just give a few notes, and then I'm going to have you answer four questions with a few of these sections. Uh, Would you guys read with me? Therefore. Well, there you go. Hey. I like that. In Africa, that's totally what they do. Hey, let's all read this one together. I got to hear you guys read it out loud. It's a short text. We're taking Owen's lead. Ready? Let's go for it. Therefore, that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done to the body by human hands, remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. First section, he gives them a five-fold again. Here's the bad situation. 
He's listed off five different things that were true about them before Jesus. Uh, this requires us to know a little bit about how the story of God unfolds, uh, that God created everything good, right, and beautiful, uh, Genesis 1 and 2, and then human beings rebelled against God. Remember, they said, uh, God, what you have to give me isn't enough. I can't trust your word. I actually need to take more and different ways than what you have for me. And the enemy twisted the word of God, and they decided to eat from the fruit, right? And it wasn't so much that God doesn't like apples and they ate of the wrong apple, so therefore it is. Like, that's a bummer, isn't it? Uh, the idea was that they rebelled against God and said, God, I know what you told me, but I want to do it differently. Uh, God, you told me to walk in life. You gave me a way that leads to flourishing. You're with me. You've provided more than I could ever imagine. But to eat that fruit, they went outside of his design. And the result of that was that the curse fell over the earth that everything fractured. Before that time, uh, what was called shalom or peace, creation worked the way it was supposed to, the way that we all long that it still would. Human relationships weren't severed. Uh, humans weren't disintegrated from themselves. Uh, they were able to enjoy creation and not exploit it. And they enjoyed full favor of God and intimacy with him. But they broke that. But God doesn't leave the world without hope, right? He makes a promise that one day he will make it right. And in Genesis, uh, I'm just gonna read it, 12, one and two, he makes this promise to a guy named Abram that is fulfilled in what we're talking about tonight. So Genesis 12, one and two, he says this. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's house to the land I will show you. And he makes this promise. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Uh, this is what's called the Abrahamic covenant where God makes a promise to Abram saying that through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Our whole Old Testament primarily tracks the story of Israel. So it can be easy to think that God only cared about Israel. But Israel's fundamental purpose was to be a light to the nations, to be the conduit through which blessing came to the world. And so if you don't believe me on that, you can just jot down two other verses that'll help unpack it a bit for you. Psalm 86, verse nine. Uh, all throughout the Psalms, it's everywhere, but that's just one little spot that you can zero in on where it says, hey, all the nations of the world will be part of how my glory goes out. In Isaiah 42, verse six, he calls Israel a light to the nations. He says, this is your vocation in the world. I want you to be a light through which all the nations can see how wise and beautiful it is to live in the ways of God. Even when uh, God's telling the people and giving them the law in Deuteronomy, it says that he does it so that they will look in and be like, yo, how did you get so smart that you figured out that this was a better way to live? And then they're supposed to say, it wasn't us, it was God. Now, they never quite got to that point because they always had a struggle with the law. But that was the point of it. And so he's saying, in Christ, all those things that used to be true where you weren't a part of the covenant family because you were Gentiles or you weren't Jewish, you're now brought in. Before, you had no hope. You were without God. You were separate from Christ. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away, who is all of us, have been brought near. The next two chunks we're not gonna read out loud, 
Uh, look up at me real quick. You guys are Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. You don't have to memorize it. You have your Bibles in front of you. Uh, you guys are Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. So in your Bible, it's in there. And what you're going to do is you're going to answer these four questions of those two texts. So you're going to do that like on your own. Um, and then I'm going to pull you back in like five minutes. So you got a minute or so. Actually, you don't have to do the last question because he doesn't tell him to do anything. So you guys only have three questions to work through. It's pretty nice. He doesn't tell him to do anything in the text. Uh, he's going to say things that happen to them, but nothing they have to do. Every uh, thing that he's saying that you might be like, oh, they're supposed to do this. You'll see it's a passive term. It's happening to them. They're not actually the ones doing it. It's really, really beautiful. So you guys are going to be Ephesians 2, 14 through 17. You guys are 2, 19 through 22. And I want you to ask these top three questions of your text. Uh, turn to a few people around. You guys don't have to form all one big huddle, but maybe like two huddles or three huddles on your side. Uh, and ask these questions. Who is God in this text? What does it say? Jesus is God. So what does it say is true about Jesus? Uh, what has he done? What actions do you see him doing? These are the action verbs where God does, makes peace. He dies on a cross. All these things. Who are we? So it says things that are true about people. What does it say is now true about people in light of who God is and what he's done? And then I'll pull us back in a few minutes and we'll teach each other. So you're going to turn towards each other, answer these top three questions, and then I'll pull us back. Ready? Go. <laughs> so Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. Uh, the reason that we're doing this is because there is uh, a danger when it comes sometimes to reading the scripture that we overcomplicate things, um, that we uh, make things more uh, complex than they had to be. And there's a really simple beauty in this. There's a rhythm to each of these three sections that lays out just perfectly within this. Hey, here's God's story. In a world that seems maddeningly destructive and distracting, uh, when disappointment and disillusionment just keeps crashing up against your shore, uh, when you're in a place where the people of the culture around you, by and large, don't really care for the God that you say created and sustains everything, or when your classmates will make fun of you because you say you're a Christian, when the people that you share uh, lunch with don't want to hear anything about Jesus and his creation, when people that you used to entrust and share so much life with have walked away from God, you can be left wondering, all right, but is this stuff, is this really, really true? And what Paul's doing in wave after wave after wave, crashing on the shores of our soul is saying, it absolutely is. Remember all the things that Jesus has done for you, in you, around you. And then we'll get to how we live in light of that. But we're going to preach some good news to each other. So um, would you guys tell us some good news about who God is, what God's done? One of those two questions, go ahead and answer it off. You don't have to give a big, long explanation. We can follow along in our Bibles and see what we're talking about. But who is God? What has God done from your side of the story? Somehow I ended up with this already. You got a smart husband. I'll be passing it over to him. Who is God? Oh, yeah, peace. God is peace. Um, reconciler. A creator. And then a preacher or teacher. Preacher, teacher. Mm. Preacher, teacher. Yeah, it's pretty wild. It says directly, he is our peace, right? 
He is our shalom. He is what so holds it together. Hmm? Yeah, you can say him. What has God done? He's like a peacemaker, rescuer. He is a peacemaker, rescuer. He brought us close to him. Mm -hmm. I can't read that. <laughs> We talked about him being a rescuer and like bringing people back near to him that were like there was, you know, brokenness, there was slavery, there was, uh, you know, many things that kept us apart. So he's brought us back near to him. Absolutely. Anybody else want to add to that? Yeah, pass it on over. I think we decided that he is peace. He is. Uh, and then, like, there was a verse in there that um, made it clear that he dissolves hostility. So we are not hostility, whatever we are. Mm. And that he uh, puts to death hostility, whatever, is, whatever that it really is, he puts it to death. So imagery of an executioner uh, popped up. You guys want to add anything? So we talked about him as an executioner and a warrior, but also like a sacrifice. So he's kind of both of those pieces together um, on our behalf. Love it. Yeah, there's a, there's a verse in there that might have seemed a bit confusing where it says, uh, depending on your translation, that he set aside or did away with the law. Uh, and just to make a note on that real quick, because it could be like, yeah, the law is that old thing that... that Law sucks. We don't believe in that anymore. Uh, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that the law is, uh, it was fulfilled in Christ and therefore it no longer needs to be followed in all the minutia of it. So you don't have to do all the external working outs of it anymore because it's been fulfilled in Christ. Not that it wasn't any good because he's going to go on to say the law is actually still really good. It still says a lot of things about God, but your status with God is not bound to whether or not you keep all these things like it was when it was ethnic Judaism. And so remember the, the context of it. He's not just saying law doesn't matter. Just do whatever you want to do. He's saying no, but it's fulfilled in Christ. And he did everything that was demanded so that we can walk in freedom. And we're not bound to the exact dimensions of what you'd read in Leviticus. The spirit of the law still absolutely because God's holy and we follow him in holiness. But we can eat shrimp and we're allowed to have bacon and things like that. You can mix your fabrics. So just wanted to speak to that real quick. Uh, and then maybe one or two, what did you guys see? Uh, who are we in light of all that Christ has done in your chunk of scripture? We're what? Bickering children. We're bickering children. <laughs> Johanna's smiling like that was hers. No, it's not. No? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You thought it was yours. That's on my cue. How are we bickering children? No, let us know. That's, yeah. I don't, that was all I had. That was all you had? You had a reason you said it, didn't you? Um, because we aren't the hostility that needs to be destroyed. Yeah. So something must be like instigating that hostility. So we're just like really like annoying children being, you know, like, what is that called? Pitted against each other. Yeah. We're so. beloved but bickering children. I'll say it that way. Beloved, we're be yeah, we're, bickering we're, we're children. Loved by, yeah, there is, right? We don't have to live in hostility towards each other, but yet we still choose to how often. That's really, really important. Yeah, what else? 
We say that we are recipients of peace. Recipients of peace. Yeah. These guys just preached some good news to you. Can you guys say thank you? Thank you. All right. And now moving on to the next section, you guys, Leslie, you don't have to talk first. You can just hold the mic as you're in the middle. Um, what did you guys see? Who is God? What has God done? And just for the sake of time, you can loop in who are we in light of that as well. Uh, any of those three questions, you're welcome to read off your whole list or just the one that really seemed like good news tonight. Uh, anybody who wants to? Daniel, I'd love to go first. Um, haven't you guys heard from me enough already? Um, as far as who is God, we said holy temple, um, the spirit that fills the temple. He's the magic sauce in the temple. Um, let's see. Take the mic away. Becca, yeah. Becca said peacemaker, meaning from verse 19 when it talks about you're no longer strangers to each other mm. or aliens. Um, he's a foundation, meaning Jesus being the foundation of the temple, the church that's being built together by us. Um, yeah. Uh, we said he was the chief cornerstone yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> uh, what has he done? Sure. Do y'all, well, what have we, we didn't write it down. <laughs> so I feel awkward now. I'm going to hand it to Matt. <laughs> I think we said he included us. Mm. So he is inclusive yeah anyone else anybody else go ahead Kenzie wrap us up um I did for who are we um we're citizens and members of his kingdom mm. citizens and members of his kingdom yeah, there's so much beauty in that. That first little bit, as you guys, if you didn't meditate on this last week, do it this week. Imagine yourself being a refugee up against the border, trying to figure with no home, right? That's the imagery he's using. Uh, and you were without a place. You had no people. You were far from God. You had no reason to be brought in. He had an entire people already that you weren't a part of. And so you could get access to it. But then through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, you now have a home. Like, like church is now your home. Like these are now your people. And it's not like, well, yeah, but not what about my past? Or what about if like my family's broken up? Or what if I don't have the same amount of money as everybody else? Or I don't like the same sports teams? Or I don't have the same ethnicity? Any of those things don't matter. He says, when you're in here, what matters is that you have faith in me and you're a part of my covenant people now. Uh, in these verses, there is absolutely uh, devastating arguments against uh, any kind of racism that would exist in the church. That's the point of this. He's saying there is not uh, one ethnicity that's better than the other. So as we come together to gather in a church community, it was meant to knock that part of people's culture out because people have always found some way in their culture to say why it's better than another. They have always found some way to exercise dominion over someone else. 
And he's saying, in my family, there is no second-class citizens. The blood of Jesus paid the same price for everyone, and everyone has a seat at the table. In fact, when it comes to uh, tables, it's actually a temple. And remember, they had that great big temple to Artemis, where they would go and they would worship. And he says, the temple that God has, the temple that Jesus is building, is not one made of bricks and mortar, but it's made of human lives. And it's not one that you go to, but it's a one that is sent out. The temple of Jesus isn't one that everyone has to come to in order to find the presence of God, but the presence of God goes out with the people to the places and the spaces that might never see it otherwise. That's what we get to be. And so he didn't give us things to do. I'm gonna give us a few quick ones because otherwise, you know, it would just seem like it was a dot, dot, dot. But these are just gonna tell you Remember who God is and what he has done. Remember the good news that you just preached. Uh, Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, that you were without hope and without God in the world. Uh, Remember that Christ's blood has brought you near. Remember that God is your peace. Remember that he is a reconciler. Remember that he's the one who teaches us. Remember that he's the one who makes peace and is peace. He's a rescuer. He's the executioner of hostility. That was beautiful. He knocked down the dividing wall between any communities of people by the power of his grace. He's a temple builder, a peacemaker. He is the foundation, the architect, the chief cornerstone. He included us. When we had no business being a part of this, he welcomes us in because he's a gracious God. And then remember who you are. Yes, sometimes we can act as bickering children who can't quite seem to get it right. But the Bible actually speaks a different word over us. If that's how we're behaving, we have a different identity, that we're a part of his kingdom, that we are brought near, that we have the same ground as anyone else in the kingdom of God. So we have no reason, one, to think more of ourselves and two, to think less of ourselves. Like, it's not like everyone else is better and I'm just the worst one here, but I guess somehow I squeaked in. God says, that's not in my family. Uh, It's also not true that any of us is better than anyone else. And so we've got a little bit of pride. We're like, yeah, I got this together. Like, he's already demolished that with it's by grace you've been saved. But it's because of the blood of Jesus that you've been saved. Remember who you are. And then as we're commissioned out, it's to live like Jesus really did all that stuff that we just read about. Like like if he really is our peace, then we can have security and safety in him. If he really has knocked down the wall of hostility, then we should be a preview of what it looks like when people of multiple backgrounds live together in one community in a way that's confusing to other people to look in. In the church, Martin Luther King Jr. said it like this, let us all hope that the dark clouds of racial prejudice will soon pass away and the deep fog of misunderstanding will be lifted from our fear-drenched communities. And in some not too distant tomorrow, the radiant stars of love and brotherhood will shine with all their scintillating beauty. This is how he ends off his letter from a Birmingham jail with this imagery of that maybe one day it would be true. But all he's saying is maybe one day it would be true. What Jesus said is already true of his church. He was writing this letter to pastors. 
He was writing this letter saying, my, my concern, my fear, the thing that I'm frustrated with isn't the Ku Klux Klan. It's the church who should know better but doesn't act differently. What if we were a pocket, a preview of what it looks like when people are at peace with one another, not holding that one culture is better than another? The kingdom of God was never meant to be monocultural. It was always meant to be multicultural because a multicultural picture shows off a ton of different facets of God's creative glory in a way that no one culture ever will. In our Missio communities, uh, what if we saw the work that we do in our Missio communities as nothing less than demonstrating this kind of redemptive community in Mesa and Gilbert? Like, would you pray for us to be faithful in that work? Like when we're sent out to share meals in homes and neighborhoods, uh, when we do work to serve and love one another. What if we saw it not as just, hey, that's my small group, it's kind of my church thing, it's what I do. It is that, but what if it was so much more? It was actually a preview of people at peace in the world. If I had more time, I would tell you stories about how that's already happening and people are looking in saying, this doesn't make sense. Why do all these people get together? Uh, some nights in our MC, I'll text everybody afterwards and show off just how diverse a community just gathered. Uh, I went to scroll back and see if I could find it in our group me, but I deleted it because we shifted over group me. So joke's on me. Um, but there was one night I remember sending it out. I was like, hey, just so you guys recognize, we had every generation present from zero to their 60s. Uh, we had five different ethnicities at the table. We had multiple tax brackets together. We even had Cowboys and Eagles fans sitting at the same table, laughing, telling jokes. There were Lakers and Suns fans sitting next to each other, sharing ciders. Like this doesn't happen anywhere except in the kingdom of God. What if our kingdoms were a preview of that? And you say, I'm not in an MC, so what about me? What about your dining room table? Rosarita Butterfield, in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, says that hospitality makes room for strangers to become friends and friends to become family. Uh, the thrust of hospitality in the world is that we take in people to our own space who don't just look like us and sound like us and are in the same exact stage of life as us, but a diversity welcome to the table to hear their experiences, to share good news, because Jesus has done that for us. What if we then pass that on to others? So in our church, in our missing communities, and even in our homes, would we be faithful to be this kind of multicultural, multi-ethnic family that God has always been working to form? And to remember that we join into a global church where that is the reality already. Would you guys pray with me?